ambling morbidly toward the tail end, Morgan met Gleed and said, I've got news for you. Go ahead, invited Gleed. Intrigue me, you're to get stripped, eh? If you go to town you do it in your pelt. Ha, funny, said Gleed. It's an order, Morgan asserted. Whose? Graders. I don't take orders from him. It's a joint one issued by His Excellency, the Colonel and the Captain. I'm not kidding you, either. All men who visit that town must do so wearing only their boots and some hair lotion. You'd better go and prepare your buddies for the shock, I'll tell the crew. He mooched away, sour-faced. Gleed had a moment of doubt, decided that Morgan was too self-important to descend to childish tricks. He hastened toward the troops' quarters, encountered Bidworthy at the halfway mark. Pardon, Sergeant Major, he began with great respect, do you know anything about this order that men on leave must go out unclothed? Bidworthy looked him over very slowly from head to feet and with equal slowness from feet to head. How much service have you put in? Twenty years. Nodding profoundly, Bidworthy went on, twenty years. Service. Three stripes. A full-blown sergeant. And still you listen to barrack room gab. First mate Morgan told me about it, Gleed protested. Then he must have a warped sense of humor, said Bidworthy. But at your age and with your rank you should know better than to fall for it. With low cunning, Gleed prompted, then it's your order that we go in ceremonial uniform. It is not my order at all, denied Bidworthy. It doesn't have to be. It's a rigid regulation of which everyone is well aware. What's more, I shall hold the usual inspection to ensure that it is obeyed. There will be trouble for the man I find sloppily dressed. He paused, added with menace, even if he happens to be a sergeant. Before Gleed could think up an adequate reply a trooper stuck his head out of a nearby doorway and said, Excuse me, Sergeant Major, the Colonel is calling for you on the intercom. Want to answer from here? Yes. Bidworthy hurried into the room leaving the door wide open. It was too great a temptation for Gleed who remained in the corridor and stretched his ears. Sir, sounded Bidworthy's gruff tones. Yes, sir. The first roster. What? This was followed by a peculiar choking noise. Do I hear you aright, sir? You mean actually nude. But, sir, the regulations, more gargling. I understand, sir. It's an order, came the click of a phone being cradled. A period of heavy breathing. When Bidworthy emerged he looked like a sleepwalker. His face somewhat apoplectic, he walked right past. Gleed without seeing him. A minute later Gleed charged into the first dormitory and looked it over with an authoritative eye. A few troopers were lying on their bunks absorbed in books. Several were playing cards. Others were brushing jackets and pressing pants. On the nearest bunk trooper Patelli was assiduously shining his heavy boots. You on the first roster, inquired Gleed. Yes, sergeant. Then you'd better give those a polish like you've never given them before. Not just a good polish. Not even an excellent polish. Make it a superb polish. Patelli asked why. Because, informed Gleed, those clompers are all you'll be wearing. All, said Patelli, mystified. All is what I said. You mean I've been taken off the roster. They've stopped my leave. I can't go out. Why'd they pick on me? I've done nothing wrong. By now the readers had dropped the books, the players put. Down their cards, the pants presses ceased work. Everyone was staring at Patelli. Self-consciously he gave the boots a couple of rubs before repeating his complaint. 
Why'd they pick on me? Much as I hate to deprive you of your martyrdom, said Gleed, I have to state that everyone is picked on. Every mother's son of us. The order is that leave must be taken in the bare, front and back. No, exclaimed the readers. No, chorused the card players. No, shouted the pants presses. Yes, insisted Gleed. Patelli flung his boots on the floor. I'm not taking my leave. I refuse to go. Why, asked Gleed. Are you adorned with a vulgar tattoo? There'll be lots of women in that town. What of it? Your mother was a woman, wasn't she? They can't see any more than she did. That's different, said Patelli. If I remember aright, Gleed continued, you were one of that squad whose physical examination was conducted by a woman. I don't recall you playing hell about it then. She was a qualified doctor. Mothers and doctors aren't the same as ordinary women. The hygiene females aren't the same, either. They're a bunch of nakes. What's one more among a million of them? I don't care, said Patelli. I don't go out without so much as my shorts. Cowardice in the face of the enemy, pronounced Gleed. You surprise me, Patelli. No spine, no guts. That's better than no clothes, Patelli retorted. Somebody called impudently, you're on the first roster, Sarge. Are you going out, providing I've got company, Gleed said. There's no fun in fooling around on one's own. He left the dormitory amid a gabble of voices, went to the next one, gave them the same news. Then to the next and the next. By the time he had finished nobody had yet been informed by Bidworthy, that person having decided that it was bad enough having the accept a breach of regulations without also making himself the instrument of its trans not. Mission. At ten in the morning eight men lined up in the mid-airlock. They were decoy ducks for the two hundred others who had decided to postpone going out pending first-hand information on what it was like to stroll around town sans zoot. Five of the eight were former members of sunbathing societies, imperturbable because facing a familiar prospect. One was a physical culture practitioner only too willing to exhibit his beautiful body. One was doing it for a bet. The eighth was Gleed, determined to assert every man's right to shore leave come what may. Bidworthy arrived, his face flushed in manner suggesting a few preliminary nips at a bottle. Standing squarely before the first man, he shot a swift look of revulsion over the body, concentrated attention upon the boots. It was obvious that he was gravely handicapped by lack of helmets to be ad not. Justed, belts to be tightened, buttons to be fastened. His attitude was the same right along the fine until he came to Gleed. There at last he found something to criticize. How is it, he inquired with exaggerated politeness, that I have not been informed of your precipitate demotion? Gleed eyed him blankly. Where are your stripes, bald Bidworthy? On my uniform, Sergeant Major, replied Gleed as soothingly as possible. I am not wearing my uniform right now. Is that so? I am indebted to you for the information. I wouldn't have been aware of it if you hadn't drawn my attention to it. He fumed a bit, then roared, get those stripes on somehow, I don't care how. Paint them on if necessary. The fact that you're stark doesn't mean you've been discharged from the space service and have ceased to be an NCO. With that he marched irefully out, pausing only to look back and say, God help us. Something seems to be eating ruthless Rufus, remarked. The physical culture expert, expanding his chest and strutting around. You coming with us, Sarge, or going on your own? 
I'll have to put these stripes on first. How am I going to do it? Go see Trooper O'Keefe in the fourth dorm, suggested one of the others. He's got plenty of lipstick. All right, wait for me, you fellows. Gleed went to the fourth dormitory, found O'Keefe sitting on his bunk, practicing a conjuring trick with two colored balls and a silk handkerchief. The other occupants goggled at the new arrival with complete lack of respect for rank. Ignoring this, Gleed asked. Is it a fact that you have some lipstick? Lipstick. O'Keefe registered great pain. What do you think I am? Extracting a box from under his bunk, he opened it, revealed a jumble of fake playing cards, wire puzzles and similar stuff. From this mess he dug out a flat tray full of what appeared to be colored candles. Theatrical grease paint. He informed. He fished up a false beard, jet black and fluffy. Want to disguise yourself? No, I've got to show my stripes. I thought maybe you could mark them on my arm. Sorry, said O'Keefe, enjoying himself, but as a common trooper I lack the authority to make you a sergeant. Get busy and give me three stripes, threatened Gleed, or when I come back on duty I'll make everyone's heart bleed for you. He offered an arm with the muscles bunched. O'Keefe did as ordered. Gleed examined the result, was satisfied. He glanced at the smirking onlookers. Well, what are you monkeys chittering at? Never seen a man in the altogether before. It isn't that, Sarge, replied one. It's the boots. They're incongruous. Ha, said Gleed without humor. We've no sandals and that's that. It's got to be boots. He left them, reached the airlock. I am now a model of sartorial perfection. Let's go. Fellows, the eight went down the gangway, headed for the faint path the Hygians had made through the grain, took no notice of personal and pointed comments yelled from the ship. They made good pace, got out of the crops and onto a narrow road leading to the town. There was no traffic upon this road X not. Except for what looked like a horse and cart vaguely visible a long way back. Trooper Yarrow, one of the erstwhile sunbathers, enthused, man, this gives me zip. Anything to get away from Bidworthy and that metal bottle for a while. I'd do it on ten-foot stilts if I had to. Don't understand why all the others are so windy. His boon companion, Trooper Kinvig, said, notice something. All troopers. No crew. Not one. Yellow bellies, opined Yarrow. Ya, pinkies, screamed a shrill voice. They looked mutually toward the source. Two boys of nine, naked and deep brown with sunburn, were sitting atop a wall pointing at them. Pinkies, shrieked one. Corpse bodies, competed the other, laughing himself silly. Take no notice, ordered Gleed, marching on with bare dignity. Pinkies, howled the two in unison. Sickly dead flesh. They don't seem to like our complexions, complained Kinvig, unhappy about it. Well be as brown as they are within a few days, Gleed pointed out. Trademark browning as I walk. That may be, but I still don't like being compared with a corpse. Who do those kids think they are? Now the town hove into near view. So also did two men. Walking towards them, these oncomers attracted instant attention because both were about seven feet tall and built like prize bulls. They weighed about 300 pounds apiece. Each was adorned with an inscribed silver disc hanging from his neck by a thin chain. Stepping into the visitors' path and bringing them to a halt, they surveyed the group with mingled disgust and disdain. One spoke, his voice deep and authoritative. 
your Terrans. That's obvious, Lashman, observed the second of the pair. Pale, thin, underweight and ruining their souls with clumsy footgear. I know, Fant, said Lashman. But we have to be formal about this. He returned attention to Gleed, picking on him because of his grease-paint stripes. Terrans. Yes, said Gleed, accepting the role of spokesman. Where are you going? What's it to do with you? asked Gleed toughly. Everything. Lashman pointed to the disc shining on his huge chest. We are public guardians. We are entitled to ask questions. Where are you going? Inter town. Who gave you permission to do so? Not liking the situation nor the enormous size of his opnot. Opponents, Gleed decided that a little tact would not come amiss. Our commanding officer, he's had an interview with your mayor and has since allowed us to go out. Then let's see your certificates of fumigation. Certificates of what? exclaimed Gleed, thunderstruck. Fumigation, repeated Lashman and added in an aside to Fant, defective hearing. In need of oral irrigation. Canals blocked with dirt, agreed Fant. At that point the physical culture expert stepped to the front, swelled his muscles and demanded aggressively, who says we should be fumigated? Reaching out a hand the size of a spade, Lashman picked him up by the scruff of his neck, held him in midair and said clearly and distinctly, shut up. Then he put him down. The victim shuffled sheepishly to the back of the bunch. Lashman spoke to Gleed. Have you or have you not been fumigated? We're quite clean. We wouldn't have been permitted to leave the ship if we'd been unclean. Have you or have you not been fumigated? No, we haven't. You can't enter the town unless medically examined and disinfected. Yah, waxies, came a thin cry from the distance. Why not? asked Gleed, disappointed and peeved. Do you think we're full of disease? The law is the law. If you don't like it, get it altered. This is no way to treat friends, Gleed persisted. If your mayor had objected to us looking around he'd have said so. Was he asked, put in Fant? I don't know. Then you can take it that he wasn't. What makes you think you can go where you like and do as you please on somebody else's world? Why why Lashman interrupted. And why have you left off your coverings? Why are you exposing your revolting bodies for all? To see. Don't you know that it is indecent and disgusting? Holy smoke. Bleed went pop-eyed. We've been ordered to do as you people do. As we do. Lashman frowned his disapproval. We don't display bodies anything like yours. If I were one half as feeble and decrepit I'd hang myself from the nearest tree. Wouldn't you, Fant? Yaz, said Fant with pious fervor. We exhibit strong, healthy bodies, insisted Lashman. Like this one. He slapped his broad abdomen. It sounded like smacking a slab of granite. Something worth seeing. Think you're good, don't you? Interjected Trooper Yarrow with maximum sarcasm. Lashman stared at him forbiddingly. Did anyone request you to speak, skinny ribs? Let's go back to the ship, said Gleed. I'll make a report to the colonel. Maybe he'll take some action about it. But what about our leave, complained Kinvig. We're being built of it. What alternative do you suggest? Gleed invited. Kinvig couldn't think of any. Neither could the others. A united attack upon the tremendous public guardians might be successful but obviously would not gain them the keys to paradise. On the contrary, assault and battery would earn him a court-martial, if they survived to face it. I'm returning anyway, Gleed told them. You crummy-looking nakes can please yourselves. With that, he about turned and marched off.
As expected, the rest followed like sheep, while Lashman and Fant gazed contemptuously at the new view. The group trudged in dismal silence, full of moody thoughts and some ill temper. Presently they came abreast of the wall. A sod of earth arced over it and struck the physical culturist upon his curvature. Yao Ha, sounded a yell of triumph. Skeletons, right on target, remarked Gleed with appreciation. Halting in his tracks, his face inflamed, the stricken one told all and sundry, I am about to commit murder. No you don't, commanded Gleed, grabbing his arm. Baby killing isn't in the contract. Keep going, back to the ship. Home sweet home, home, growled Kinvig, you slay me with your wit. They paraded onward while shouts of victory and screams of abuse faded away behind. Soon they met the cart previously noticed. It was drawn by a real earth horse that rolled its eyes as if it too considered him as an extraordinary spectacle. Though not as huge as Lashman and Fant, the driver was a powerful, heavily muscled specimen who treated the Terrans to a loud sniff, jiggled his reins and urged the horse from a plod to a slow trot. On top of the car two teenage girls were sitting three quarters buried in the load of hay. Glancing upward as they passed, Trooper Yarrow stopped as if held by an invisible hand, said in tones of delighted reverence, Look, fellows, real live dames. The girls pointed at Yarrow and giggled helplessly. One gasped a remark to the other and that set them off on another. Burst of merriment. With tears running down their faces, they clung together and boosted themselves to the verge of hysterics as the cart receded. Yarrow angrily demanded of nobody in particular, what's supposed to be funny? Us Gleed told him. Leaving the road, they took their former route through the fields, arrived at the ship and mounted the gangway one by one. Each had the air of a pilgrim denied salvation for no known sin. In the airlock 10th engineer Harrison welcomed them with frank surprise. What, so soon? Their frenzied welcome laid us out, Yarrow told him. We've come back to recuperate. Why don't you go and get a taste of it yourself? inquired Kinvig. I intend to. I'm on the third roster. What a picture you'll make, said Kinvig maliciously. Nude on a bike. He hurried after the others into the ship. Gleed went through the airlock last, looking sour. Something wrong, prompted Harrison. Sure is. We stink with our clothes on and we still stink with them off. I'm going to see the colonel about it. So saying, he made for the chartroom, knocked, waited a moment and entered. Nobody was there. With a brief underbreast cuss he made his way to the control room. That was empty too. Finally he traced his quarry to the officer's lounge, knocked again. A voice responded, come in. Gleed marched in with military precision. Disregarding a dozen pairs of startled eyes, he halted before Shelton, stood stiffly with head erect and hands pressed grimly against thighs. Your pardon, Colonel. I beg to report that, spilling the drink he was holding, Shelton barked, what the very devil do you mean by appearing before me in that disgraceful condition? Completely naked. Good God. Have you gone out of your mind? With all respect. Colonel, men on leave have been ordered. Two, you are not on leave when in my presence, contradicted Shelton with visible ire. You are on parade. If a sergeant does not know the regulations what can one expect of the men? Yes, sir, but, don't you dare pose there without even a lion cloth and argue with me. Shelton spilled more of his drink. Go and get dressed. I am repelled by the sight of your anatomy. 
If you wish to see me you must do so in the proper manner. Yes, sir, said Gleed, swallowing hard. He snapped an accurate salute, about turned and marched out. As he closed the door he heard Shelton say to the others, disgraceful. The space service is going to the dogs. Arriving at the NCO's dormitory, Gleed kicked off his boots, pulled on his shorts, sat on his bunk and glowered at the metal wall. What a life, he complained. What a ship, what a world. As the news traveled around the ship the men reacted in different ways. A belligerent minority was in favor of going to town, clothed and armed with rubber truncheons, and pounding a few hygiene heads. The rest philosophically accepted the fact that Terrans were unwanted oddities and swiftly built up a habit of referring to each other as freaks. This reached its climax when a trooper innocently replied to a question from Bidworthy by saying, Freak Moran has just gone to the washroom. A. Who? I mean Trooper Moran, Freak Major. By early afternoon men off duty had found a temporary compromise by leaving the ship but not approaching the town. Some went for walks in the opposite direction, towards the distant forest. A few played handball. The majority were content to repose full length on the soft, cushiony sward, absorbing sunshine and fresh air and idly speculating about what their leaders might do to bring the natives to their senses. Most were of the opinion that no effective action would be or could be taken. Space, remarked Trooper Yarrow profoundly, flat on his back and chewing a straw, is a place where anything can happen, even nothing. You said it, freak, supported Kinvig. Notice how the top brass has carefully refrained from setting an example for low knot. Life's like us. Does Shelton try to get into town in his skin? Does his freakiness the ambassador? They do not. They sit on their butts in the officer's lounge guzzling the drinks and waiting for time to roll past. They re afraid to be seen in the raw, opined trooper. Jacoby. 99% of their authority is located in their uniforms, badges and insignia. I reckon there's a lot to be said in favor of universal nudity. Strip a fellow of his clothes and what have you got? Just another dumb bum. Yes, sir, approved Yarrow. We were bomb naked. It wouldn't kill us to stay that way. It'd save lots of time, trouble and expense, Kinvig contributed. I'd give plenty to see Bidwarty trying to throw his weight around in nothing but boots, offered Jacoby dreamily. I'd give more to watch the ambassador acting high and mighty a yard behind his own pot belly, Yarrow responded. I reckon he'd bear close resemblance to a sow in litter. Trooper Veach, lying nearby, rolled over, yawned widely and said, Do I hear subversive propaganda? Quiet, freak, ordered Yarrow. Cleed appeared, still in shorts and boots, looked down at them. Been watching the area through powerful glasses for over an hour. It looks as if these hygienes have no automobiles, no planes, maybe because they've no oil resources. Either, they have steam locomotives and horses. All their transport seems to be based on locos and horses. He meditated as if he had something special in mind, asked, any of you fellows know how to handle a horse? I do, said Veach, sitting up. Good, approved Gleed. Sergeant Schneed is a real old nag. Go and report to him for kitchen duty. Veach clambered to his feet and displayed much bitterness. After I get my release I'm going to buy myself a hatchet. Then I'm going to travel around in search of certain people. 
Do I hear subversive propaganda? inquired Yarrow. Giving him an ugly look, Veach ambled toward the gangway. Gleed lay down in his vacated place, gazed at the blue sky and let go a long-drawn sigh of pleasure. I'm surprised at Veach. Seven years service and still a sucker. The others didn't answer, so he prompted, enjoying yourselves, fellows. Jacoby said unwarily, I can think of better things to do. How right you are, approved Gleed. You chase after Veach and report for kitchen duty. Very ungraciously, Jacoby departed. Yarrow and Kinvig then decided it might be more comfortable a couple of hundred yards away. They moved before further conversation could bring forth the fact that the kitchen could make good use of them also. Grinning to himself, Gleed reposed full length and surveyed the sky until his eyes grew heavy. Presently he closed them and drifted into sleep. He had been snoring steadily for an hour when Yarrow nudged him wide awake. Sarge, that deputation is coming through the grain again. Getting up, Gleed had a look, recognized the mayor and his councillors. He hurried into the airlock, used the phone. Grader answered, Captain, that official party is returning. Bring them to the chartreum as before, Sergeant. Right, sir. With his whiskers flapping in the slight breeze, the mayor mounted the gangway. He was still clinging to his civic totem pole. The councillors followed except for Gerpongo who remained on the grass, hugged the bag containing his spray gun and looked at the lolling troops as if he considered them long overdue for treatment. Gleed led his party to the chartreum door, opened it for them but was careful to keep out of sight himself. For the time being, he felt, it would be wise to avoid the irate Shelton's gaze. What the eye does not see the brass hat mind cannot bellow over. The mayor and his councillors filed in, grouped themselves as before. Stroking his beard and raising his totem pole, the mayor addressed his excellency. Health be yours. Thank you, said the ambassador, thinking this health business could be taken a bit too far. We have consulted our government and after due consideration they have decided to agree with your suggestions, enunciated the mayor. Ah, exclaimed the ambassador delightedly. Upon certain conditions, the delight vanished as swiftly as it had come. What conditions? Producing a map from his shoulder bag, the mayor unfolded it, put it on Grader's desk and planted a wrinkled finger upon it. You will see that at this point, which is not far north of here, the great river Sambar splits and flows on either side of an island. It is a very nice island, verdant and healthy. It covers almost a thousand acres and is ideal for an isolation camp. Isolation, echoed the ambassador, frowning. You can take over that island on the understanding that your men remain there for a quarantine period of one year. Quarantine, they may not leave the island and mix among our people before this one year is through. And then they must submit to medical examination and disinfection by us. Any men not considered healthy enough to let loose must stay on the island until such time as we find them physically fit in all respects. With regard to these matters our decisions shall be accepted as final. Is that all? asked the ambassador. Indeed, no. It is understood that you will place upon this island your consul, his staff and bodyguard, also two long-range transmitters with their appropriate technicians. Having done so, you will not at later date increase their numbers without first obtaining our consent. Anything more? Yaz, said the mayor, wetting his lips. 
If after one year a number of Terrans are permitted to travel where they please they will not disgust the populace by wearing clothes. We cannot allow the minds of our children to be perverted by such filthy exhibitionism. Terrans must justify their freedom by behaving with common decency, as we do. That is not too much to ask. I suppose not, admitted the ambassador, slightly whirly. Lastly, finished the mayor, if in due time romantic associations should arise and it should be considered expedient to solemnize marriages between these Terrans and our people, such marriages will be recognized by you as legal and valid. By that is meant that the bridegroom will be entitled to permanent residence upon Hygieia. You will not have the right to compel him to desert his wife and family by transferring him to another world. Shelton interrupted with, there's a nice way for a malcontent to opt out of the space service whenever he feels like it. He could scoot in any case, the ambassador pointed out. All he need do is throw his clothes in the river and join the naked herd. Not legally, said Shelton. If half the consular bodyguard takes to the woods what does it matter whether their action is legal or illegal, asked the ambassador. They've vanished just the same. We don't have to encourage it by providing a legal loophole, Shelton protested. Before the ambassador could frame a suitable reply the mayor spoke severely. You are taking a lot for granted, and without any visible justification. What do you mean, asked Shelton. You appear to be under the delusion that all your men are irresistible charmers and that our women will consider it a great privilege to marry them. What's wrong with marrying a Terran trooper? Now the ambassador interrupted. My dear colonel let us keep to the subject, for heaven's sake. We have something better to do than discuss the merits of Terran hygiene wedded bliss. What we have to consider are the terms on which representation may be established upon this planet. Then he turned to the mayor. Excuse me, I won't be a minute. He went out, hurried to the lounge, found Lieutenant Deacon there. Lieutenant, I'd like you to conduct the mayoral party here while we talk over their proposals in private. Seat them comfortably and provide them with drinks. He favored the other with a fat wink. Plenty of drinks. Plenty, repeated Deacon. That's what I said. These nudists are far too healthy, smug and self-satisfied for my liking. I think it might be a good thing if the mayor had to be carried home blowing fumes through his whiskers. I hope you grasp my meaning, Lieutenant. Yes, Your Excellency, till tend to it. Returning followed by Deacon, the ambassador said to the Hygians, we'd like to discuss your conditions between ourselves, if you don't mind. The lieutenant will take you to the lounge. We'll inform you of our decision as soon as possible. Raising no objection, the mayor and his men departed in the wake of Deacon. When they had gone, the ambassador rubbed his hands together and spoke briskly. Let's not get sidetracked. There's only one question to answer, do we accept their proposition or do we not? I don't like it, said Shelton moodily. Your reasons. They're dictating terms to us instead of us to them. It's their world, offered greater. It'll be our grief if they're attacked from outside, Shelton retorted. Since our strength is considerable while theirs is negligible the brunt of the battle will fall upon us. If they want terrace and protection they should buy it at our price. You think there's a seller's market in protection, eh? asked the ambassador. Sure there is. We have the arms, ships and men. We have the industrial power, the productive capacity, the technical know-how. 
The Hygians have nothing worth mentioning, not even clothes. That may be so, the ambassador said. But where's the seller's market without a buyer? They're buying all right, otherwise they wouldn't have decided to accept our offer. I'm not so sure about that. I don't think they really consider themselves in danger of alien invasion or that they really want a mutual defense pact. I suspect that their play not being ball, within limits, in the hope of getting something out of it. It wouldn't surprise me if they didn't try to turn our own story against us, they'll use this hypothetical threat as an excuse to catch machine tools from us. Or anything else they need. The ambassador looked at Grader. What are your views are, half a loaf is better than no bread. I agree. This island they've offered us will be a Terran foothold even if a small, restricted one. At later date some pretext will be found for expanding it. After all, the authorities can't expect us to zoom around confiscating entire planets with the limited force on this one ship. If high policy requires that we get tough let them send out the fleet. He thought a while, finished, if we accept the Hygian offer we'll have achieved what we were sent out to do. I'm in favor of accept not. Being and leaving our powers that be to cope with any subsequent quibbles. What do you say? We've two more planets yet to visit, reminded Grader. Nobody knows what complications we'll have to face on those. Or how much time it will take. The sooner we finish with this one and move on, the better. I can't outvote the two of you, said Shelton with bad grace. That makes it unanimous, declared the ambassador. Let us go tell them and join the drunken celebration.